Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. My name is Ophelia Hukini. She, her, and hers are my pronouns. I am the worship coordinator here at Hope Gateway, and I am thrilled to be kicking off this series with you. So as Sarah mentioned, this is a new series called Queer Genesis, colon, Joseph. Um, And for some of us, the word queer is maybe not strange. For some of us, maybe it's uncomfortable or we're not sure if we're allowed to say it. So I'll just say this, in our context, The word queer refers to two things at the same time. Number one, it is an orientation that means not heterosexual. Um, Because that can mean so many things, queer is a big umbrella of people. And many people love that term because it connotes this big community of people with something really beautiful in common. And queer can also refer to something lovely and unexpected or unusual. It has also traditionally been a um, sometimes a derogatory slur, um, and that word is in the process of reclamation by LGBTQ people. We are going through the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis, which is the first book of Moses and the first book of the Jewish and Christian scriptures. And yes, as Sarah mentioned, that is Joseph of the Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. And we will get to that too later in this series. And we're gonna take a close look at Joseph's unexpected and unusual life. And we're gonna talk about how God spoke through that life. Uh, But I don't think we can talk about Joseph without talking about his roots. In fact, for better or for worse, it's hard for any of us to talk about who we are without talking about our roots. And specifically today, I wanna talk about Joseph's father, Jacob. Because Jacob, who himself is known for his unusual story of inheritance, passes something of a legacy down to his children. So let's turn to Genesis 26, verses 24 through 33, to learn more about the story of Isaac and Rebekah and their children, Esau and Jacob, the latter of whom will become the father of our series protagonist. When Rebecca reached the end of her pregnancy, she discovered that she had twins. The first came out red all over, clothed with hair, and she named him Esau. Immediately afterward, his brother came out gripping Esau's heel, and she named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 60 years old when they were born. And when the young men grew up, Esau became an outdoorsman who knew how to hunt, and Jacob became a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was boiling stew, Esau came in from the field hungry and said to Jacob, I'm starving. Let me devour some of this red stuff. That's why his name is Edom, which I think means red. Um, Jacob said, sell me your birthright today. Esau said, since I'm going to die anyway, what good is my birthright to me? Jacob said, give me your word today. And he did. 
He sold his birthright to Jacob, so Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate, drank, got up, and left, showing just how little he thought of his birthright. So Isaac then grows older and doesn't see as well. And at this point in his life, he uses his sense of touch to make sense of his surroundings. And he asks his son Esau to go and hunt some game, prepare a stew, and bring it to him so he can eat it before he blesses his eldest son and dies. But Rebecca overhears this, and since she favors Jacob, she devises a plan with Jacob to deceive his father and gain his father's blessing. Jacob pretends to be his hairy older brother, and he brings his father the stew before Esau returns home. And Isaac, kind of unsure but sufficiently deceived, gives his blessing in addition to the birthright to Jacob. What Jacob receives from his brother and his father are no small matters. The birthright of the firstborn male child was, by some accounts, a double portion of the inheritance. So that means likely the difference between a really comfortable and maybe uncomfortable life. And the blessing was a crucial spiritual inheritance and invocation. It's a spoken bond between creator and family and its members. So Jacob is described as a quiet man who stayed at home, or in some translations, a quiet man who lived in a tent. He's contrasted with his brother Esau, who's depicted as a hunter. This slide shows a painting by um, a Dutch painter, I don't know who it is, um, who painted, albeit very light-skinned, um, versions of Jacob and Esau. Uh, it also, I think, kind of depicts the difference in their appearance, Jacob being more traditionally effeminate looking than Esau. So in Jacob and Esau's culture, hunting was the purview of those who were masculine. Those who stayed at home or lived in tents were the society's women. Jacob, who was a capable cook and a tent dweller, and who didn't look a lot like his hairy brother, was by his community standards, an effeminate person. He trespassed against a lot of cultural norms and he was unexpected and unusual. And perhaps if he lived today, we'd even say that he queered our gender expectations. And it's this person, Jacob, the effeminate, the unusual and the un unexpected who gains not only the blessing of his father, but who also becomes a patriarch of the Israelites and an ancestor, ancestor of our spiritual lineage today. So it's through this scrappy, complicated, queer individual that God chooses to tell a particular and beautiful story about who God is. And it's also this individual who becomes the father of Joseph and Joseph's 11 siblings. To his children, Jacob passes on a complex mixture of his own experiences and emotions. He passes on some healing, and then he passes on some pain. That pain that Jacob passes on is the same pain that he lived. He was not his father's favorite. He became an adult. His father made his favoritism abundantly clear. And though he knew that that favoritism came with so much suffering for him, he couldn't help but replicate it amongst his own children. Amongst his 11 children, he chose one favorite. And the rest of his children were painfully aware that they were not as beloved as Joseph. But mixed into the pain that he passes on, Jacob also passes on healing. 
he does make a hairpin turn in his lineage by eschewing what is expected and usual. So rather than dote on the most masculine son, he chooses to uplift Joseph. Like us, Jacob and Joseph lived in a time when masculinity ruled. And so it was countercultural to celebrate a child who exhibited so few of the characteristics that one would define as masculine or successful or worthy. And through the lineage of Jacob and Joseph, God uses the most unproductive children by the standards of inheritance and capitalism to teach us and to save the people of Israel. God is saying that perhaps the most, the things that we care about the most, like productivity and dominance, are maybe not the most important things to God. And we learn through the story of Jacob's parenting about both intergenerational trauma and intergenerational healing. Like many in the Bible, Jacob is human. He is not merely a hero, nor is he merely a villain. He wrestles physically with angels and then metaphorically with demons. It's said that we transmit what we don't transform. And that means that if we don't reckon with our pain honestly, gently, and with some curiosity, then we stand the chance of passing that on, sometimes in the same form and sometimes in a different form, not just in the midst of a familial setting, but also to those who are following in our footsteps and those who, um, those who are in our communities and midst. In the season of Pentecost, we are called to embrace newness. And in this season of pride, we are called to audacious life, to live in God's gladness and sufficiency. So maybe there is unresolved pain in your own lineage. We each belong to ancestries of exquisite joy and sorrow. And yeah, it's human to recreate that, but it's not inevitable. We get to examine the fruit we've been given and the seeds with which our lives have been studded, and we get to decide with intention what's worth carrying into the future. Sometimes our spiritual inheritance is mixed with destructive behaviors or dangerous beliefs, and our work in that case is to be cycle breakers. In the spirit of the season of pride, I want to briefly talk about two contemporary examples of cycle breakers. And I promise I won't make this too much longer because I know that um, in this hybrid and online setting, you all are given um, attention. So I appreciate that. All right. The first example of a cycle breaker I want to talk about is Amber Cantorna. Amber is a queer Christian writer and speaker, a wife, and also someone who has an invisible disability. For years, she has been working in a spirit of love and gentleness to undo the work of some of the most notorious U.S. Christian fundamentalists. She has taken on, for example, the anti-LGBTQ theologies of focus on the family in particular. And Focus on the Family is a very wealthy radio show and organization that exists to promote an exclusionary fear-based kind of Christianity. So Focus on the Family is a formidable Goliath figure, and Amber is just one woman, but she is committed to a message of love even more loudly than Focus on the Family is committed to fear because fear-based hatred was her inheritance. You see, Amber's father was, and still is, 
a top executive at Focus on the Family. And her father's hostility toward Amber provoked her to want a different legacy and spiritual inheritance for all who follow in her footsteps. Another contemporary cycle breaker in the spirit of pride is this person, Abraham Piper, a man who came to sudden TikTok prominence in the last year or two for his short, smart takes on Christian fundamentalism. Um, in a recent video, he talked about Pride season, and he mentioned that he grew up believing that Pride was a sin because it suggested that he was stepping out of the small place that God had ordained for him. But he says, and I'm just going to read this quote because I think it's so fantastic. He says, I have a different definition now. Pride is your belief that you ought to exist. The deep feeling that your life can matter to you without reference to anybody else. When someone wants to keep you in your place, they're making your existence relative to theirs. And pride is just saying, yeah, that's not going to work for me. When the word pride comes after a marginalized group, bare minimum, they're telling us we believe we ought to exist. And I've censored this a little because this is church, to which the only sensible answer is, yeah, you do. And what can we do to help? Pride sure as hell isn't a sin unless you side with those powers who believe that people matter so little that they shouldn't even matter to themselves. Whew. I find Abraham Piper's quote particularly poignant because of who he is and because of his spiritual inheritance. Abraham is the child of John Piper, a famed Calvinist theologian with a massive global following and who still today promotes the subjugation of women, the utter non-existence of LGBTQ people, and the belief that parents must break their children's will in order to force obedience. The inheritance that Abraham Piper received was riddled with pain. And with examination and curiosity, he chose to break that cycle and embark on a different path for those who would follow after him. So I want you to think for a second about who the cycle breakers are in your lineage. Who in your family or community broke the cycle of, for example, toxic masculinity or racism or abuse or self-loathing or addiction or abandonment? And which cycles are you breaking by following the path that you're on? What cycles do you need to break? What stands to be repeated or transmitted if it isn't transformed? We are not harnessed to the Holy Spirit for that transformation. This has been an interpretation of the story of Jacob and Joseph. There are other interpretations too, but this is the one that makes the most sense from my perspective and my place in the world. We run the risk of moralizing a life when we try to interpret it or condense it. Joseph was a really complicated person, as you're going to hear in the weeks to come. And his father, Jacob, was a complicated person too. And yet, the queer story running through that is that in some ways, he was a cycle breaker. He broke the cycle of prizing masculinity over all. He broke the cycle of breaking the spirit of a gender nonconforming child. And in doing so, he aligned his desire with God's, that it is often the most unexpected and gentle and unassuming 
um, that will make for us a new way. But more on that next week. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.